1: hello, and welcome back to another episode of Prosecuting Donald Trump. Well, there's lots of news breaking as of late last night, and it's thrown Mary and me into a (laughs) tizzy, because we planned on the weekend what we were going to talk about and had all sorts of ideas. And then once again, Mary, no matter what we do, it's like the more we plan, the more something happens. Uh, So there's a lot to talk about, primarily, We're gonna spend our time talking about Judge Cannon and what is happening in the Florida case, but we're also gonna talk about the larger January 6th case, both Jack Smith's and in Georgia and what the developments are there. And then finally, we'll address the ongoing disciplinary proceedings with respect to two lawyers as it relates to, not so much in and of themselves, but how as it relates to the criminal cases and how we see that impacting one way or the other. Anyway, Mary, so yes, nice to same see you. here.
2: And I do want to say to the listeners, we really do mean it that we want to get your questions. And in fact, over the weekend, Andrew and I and the producers were talking about and picking questions to answer. And then, of course, news hits, new filings come in. And so it's not that we don't want to spend a whole episode on listener questions, but we also need to address the things that have recently happened. And I will say we oftentimes in what we're addressing even though it's timely and it's based on recent filings, is also responsive to listener questions. So we're not ignoring you. So true. <laughs> so
1: just to set the stage and the Mary, I'm gonna ask you sort of your views, but there's sort of two separate things that were happening in Florida. One was sort of a back and forth with Nauta's counsel saying that he could not be physically present at the so-called CEPA hearing, CEPA, the Classified Information Procedures Act that governs how the courts deal with classified documents that was going to happen on Friday. And he said, I'm going to be in D.C. and blah, 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 and didn't propose a new date. That all got resolved because the parties basically agreed that they could all be present on this Tuesday. So that is sort of water under the bridge other than I don't know about you, Mary, but I thought one of the things that was really interesting was not just that right upon their filing, Jack Smith's team, it was like a crack response team. They like immediately had their response in, which is, I think, a really good sign yep. that they're going to be responding in real time. But one of the things they said, which I thought was interesting, was, yeah. by the way, does longtime counsel, not his new local counsel, but his longtime counsel hasn't even filed his paperwork to get a security clearance. So th- there's a little bit of chutzpah um, yep, that's <laughs> they say in New York. That it's like, excuse me, you haven't
2: even filed your
1: paperwork, so it'll be interesting to see for
2: three weeks, right? And the judge had been very clear that yeah. she wanted all counsel to immediately do what they needed to do to get clearances so that this case could move forward. Exactly. So I think one of the things that'll
1: be really interesting as a test of Judge Cannon, a small test, is whether she sort of presses that issue, which is, hey what in God's green earth are you doing? File right. the papers. Um, Why is it taking you three weeks? Because this is sort of a classic stall mm-hmm. and dodge, which is um to say, oh, I don't even right. have clearance yet. Well, that's fine if you filed your papers and it's on the government that hasn't actually done anything. But if you haven't even submitted your papers, that's pretty classic as a way to sort of drag things out. So it'll be interesting to see how much Judge Cannon At the Tuesday hearing that is now scheduled to discuss SEPA and SEPA scheduling, says to does counsel, Yep, what are you doing? Why isn't it in? Under normal circumstances, Mary, I as a defense counsel or the government would. Not dare to show up without having filed which, those papers. That'll so be she interesting. She basically had ordered
2: him to do so. He's yeah. basically in defiance
1: of her orders. Yeah, exactly. Although I have to say, her order was not a model of clarity. Agree. Giving her the benefit of doubt. I think she was trying to keep the railroad running on time, but her language was imprecise imprecise <laughs> and you know and this is what defense counsel yep. are entitled to do if it's imprecise they can take advantage of it because no defense counsel usually wants to pass trial which gets exactly. us to our second issue which is as we know the court had scheduled a control date for trial in August everyone understood that that was not a real date but it's on the books and then the government filed papers saying that they would like a real and firm date in December. And they proposed a whole schedule of how to get there. And the court ordered the parties, the defense, to submit their papers by yesterday as to their position. And those are the papers that caused us to totally rethink what we wanted to talk about today. And those came in late last night. Mary... You and I actually, once again, have not had a chance to talk about this other than now face-to-face. So what was your take on the the Nauda and Trump position yeah. in court? So,
2: you know, even though we said we had to rejigger what we wanted to talk about today, I think we always expected this would be a subject. And I think it's not a surprise that yeah. Trump's lawyers and Nauda's lawyers are saying, we can't be ready for a December 11th trial date. But I think what's more interesting about it is the things that they put in their motion. And essentially, they're making their motion not just in response to the government's proposed scheduling order, but also under the procedures that are laid out in the Speedy Trial Act. Because as we talked about several weeks ago, part of the reason the judge originally sent that August date was because the law, the Speedy Trial Act, generally says you need to go to trial within 70 days of indictment. But there are many, many reasons that that can be delayed or told. Um, And some of those are the filing of motions, which toll the Speedy Trial Clock. But others is kind of an interest of justice Uh, rationale. And so when the government came in and proposed December 11th, they were proposing that also as this is a reasonable schedule and here's why the interests of justice under the Speedy Trial Act support this schedule. Mr. Trump and Mr. Nadar are coming in now and saying, we need an interest of justice continuation. We can't possibly be ready by December 11th. And they don't even want the court to set a trial date at all. They don't suggest any date either before the election or after the election, they essentially say, there's so many issues here. There's so many legal motions we'll be filing. They're not in great detail about what they are, but they give some hints. So many legal uh, motions we'll be filing. This is very complicated because of the Classified Information Procedures Act, uh, proceedings that we'll have to go to. Already, the discovery that the government has proposed is over 400,000 documents. And we have barely even begun to get through that. In addition to that, 57 terabytes of surveillance video, essentially for all of these reasons, including, and I think this is what's maybe some of the most interesting, including that this is a prosecution advanced by, A sitting president against his political rival. And that's something else they say is a reason that this should really be put off indefinitely because they couldn't possibly be expected to have a jury sit in a trial of a candidate for office because that would influence the election. So there's many pieces of that to pull apart. I think overall not a surprise that they're wanting a delay. What's more interesting is the various reasons that they give and what we can glean from them. Wondering if you had a similar reaction.
1: Of course, since we've yet to figure (laughs) out a place where we disagree. I mean obviously they were going to try and put this off as long as possible. There's a famous defense lawyer, Edward Bennett Williams, who has said that when you're a defense lawyer, an adjournment is the equivalent of an acquittal, meaning, like, you're just your job is to put delay, things delay, off delay. exactly, and and the government's job is to fight that. So this is a real test of Judge Cannon as to what she is going to do in terms of the trial date. and it's a real test also because she has such broad discretion on this issue. It's not unreviewable, but. It's hard to appeal this, and so it'll be really interesting to see what she does. So I had a number of thoughts. One is, just to be fair to the defense here, and leaving aside for a moment what they wrote, which I think is very problematic, uh, is they have not seen the classified information yet. And to have to agree definitively to a time schedule when you don't know the scope of what you're going to see and what kind of arguments you'll have is a hard position to be in. And so I think it's not unreasonable to say, whatever we agree to, whatever is set by the court has to be without prejudice to our coming back Once we see that information, because there might be material there that causes us to have to rethink what the time frame is, that would probably be the most responsible thing.
2: Including filing new motions, right? And things like that. Exactly. Because they haven't seen all
1: of that. So I do think that would be a fair point. That's, of course, not what they said. A theme here was definitely Biden versus Trump. Um, Of course, there's no evidence, zero evidence that this is Biden versus Trump. Because one, even if you thought Trump was going to be the Republican nominee, that hasn't happened yet. So that is a presumption. And there is zero evidence that Biden is responsible for this prosecution. In fact, he has said he had nothing to do with it. In fact, Garland didn't even bring this. It was Jack Smith, and Jack Smith brought it after a grand jury found that there was probable cause. Right. So that is sort of a false dichotomy. The other thing that's in the filing that I thought was sort of useful in addition to this theme of Biden versus Trump, even though, again, mm-hmm. that's false, just to be clear, is this idea that the Presidential Records Act somehow informs and is challenging with respect to uh, this criminal case. The Presidential Record Act just is a red herring here um, and has nothing to do with the first set of charges about the illegal retention of national defense information. But I thought a second part is that studiously avoided in this filing is anything about the obstruction charges. It's, it's as if it didn't happen because those are so damning and there's just no defense being put forth on that. And it's as if they are not in the case. And so that stood out to me. And I just think if you're the government, one of your jobs is when the defense is saying, look over here, look at the birdie. Your job is to bring the jury, bring the judge back to what the charges are. And then the third point Point is I was struck by the writing and tone of the brief. And it showed some client control in that there wasn't the footnotes about the polling that shows that Donald Trump is doing so well. There wasn't vituperative language. It was on the face of it a respectful. Filing, but to me, there is a certain amount of lipstick on a pig quality to this, which is it superficially reads like a legitimate filing. But when you actually go beneath the surface just a little bit and scrape just a little bit off, it's no different. It has that veneer, but it still says this is a Biden versus Trump squabble. It still raises this. BS about the Presidential Records Act. That's Mm -hmm. a term of art. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's another acronym.
2: <laughs> and we should pause there just to bring listeners up to speed. We've talked about it before, but the Presidential Records Act is an act that was created to make it clear that the records of a president's time in the White House about any official duties, including ceremonial duties, are not the president's own personal records. They are the property of the government and really of the people. And that's you know how this whole case got started when the National Archives said, it appears that you took pretty much all the records when you left the White House and we need to get them back. Trump has tried to create this defense of under the Presidential Records Act, I alone get to designate what's personal and what's a presidential record. And I made this all personal. Well, there's all kinds of reasons uh, why even factually, it's clear he didn't do anything like that. But legally, he doesn't get to do that. The definition of what presidential records are is in the statute. And it does not include things that you do in your official capacity and your ceremonial capacity. It's, you know, things like photos of your kids. Those are personal.
1: (laughs) Seriously, I was thinking about this, Mary, which is under his reasoning, he could literally go to the Federal (laughs) Reserve and say, you know what? I actually decided that all of this money and the gold bullion in Fort Knox is actually personal. So I'm just going to take that um, because under the Presidential Records Act, I have deemed this personal. So I don't have to deal with the Saudis anymore because I'm just going to take it from the government. I mean, it's just not how the Presidential Record Acts work, which is that you can just suddenly be like, oh, I just deem this personal any more than he could take down paintings from the White House and say they're personal. I will say that one of the things that was disturbing was this idea that although they didn't pick a date, as you said, Mary, um, they basically say, by the way, it'll be very hard to pick a jury while the presidential election is pending, meaning we need to after. put this off until yeah. after the presidential election, as if that's going to make it any right. easier. I mean, this is one where it's like, listen, if that's the standard, it's like you can't do it now and you can't right. do it later. That's like a trick box, which means never. But also it's basically saying, can we please wait and see if a Republican wins the White House? Because if it's me, I'm going to end this case. And if it's a Republican who's an all-sympathetic uh, to my base. I'm going to uh, either get a pardon or that person's just going right. to end the case. So please put it off. And what's missing there is, one, if you are actually innocent of this charge, you would think that you would say, I want an immediate my trial. I want a fast clear trial. Exactly. Name. I want to clear my name. Now, he's a defendant. He's entitled to say... I want sufficient time to prepare. But I mean, it's so inconsistent with innocence and the idea that you are running for office and you want to be able to clear your name as opposed to run on being a victim, something, Mary, I know you've written a lot about. But to me, this is like, I never want my day in court because i rather just deal with my own made-up facts and my own claim of being a victim rather than have the public see what yeah. the evidence is, and a jury see what the evidence is and then live with right. those consequences. And that, frankly, is what the American public is entitled to, so long as it's done consistent with a defendant's right to prepare That's right. for trial.
2: That's and- right. As we talked about before, there is a lot of preparation here. So it's not surprising or unfair that they feel like they need more time. But it also is a reality that Mr. Trump is using this as a fundraising mechanism. And for him, it's advantageous to be able to continue to say, I'm being persecuted by my political opponent. Please send me money. And we know that people have sent that money. I think what's a little bit disturbing, as you were just indicating, you know, we talked about. One of the challenges that the attorneys say that they anticipate making is some sort of motion to dismiss this entire case. Mind you, and we should be clear about that, a lot of what they are saying in this motion for a continuance of the trial is that we think the motions we bring are going to result in the dismissal of this case. But what they list are really borderline frivolous subject matters, right? The Presidential Records Act as yeah. a motion to dismiss this case, no.
1: As a judge said of the Eastern District, I have two words for you, <laughs> right, denied. denied. And
2: then they also suggest <laughs> that they're going to challenge the authority of the special counsel to bring this case. And so <laughs> they're claiming there shouldn't be any, quote unquote, secret evidence introduced in this trial. This is a trial where more than 30 of the counts are about the mishandling of national defense information. Mary, I love this. You're accused of having top secret
1: information, compartmented top secret information, and you're telling the judge, hey, we just put yeah, this all right. out in the public. So
2: there's a lot of just um BSy type of claims in here, notwithstanding that I. 100% agree with you. I'm a bad influence
1: <laughs> on you, Mary. <laughs> and there's
2: also some word salad in here too like very long sentences about needing, you know, time to develop further clarity as to the full nature and scope of the motions that will be filed and blah 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 blah. So anyway, uh I think legit to say we can't agree to December 11th. We haven't even seen the classified information. We're just getting started on the discovery, but not legit to to suggest that this is going to get thrown out of court on some of these baseless motions.
1: Totally agree. So all eyes are on what is going to happen on the 18th at 2 p.m., which is the the new SIPA scheduling conference date. Obviously, the judge could rule on the papers now with respect to the trial, but she could also hear from the parties next tuesday since there is a date to be heard i do anticipate that the government will file something in response to this file what was filed late last night because that just seems that their it is mo is to be very much like we are really on top of this
2: and there's another interesting piece of this which is that Essentially, one of the things that they're saying this motion to is that we're just too busy. All of us attorneys, we have so many other things and there's such a huge volume here. And right now there's only two attorneys signing for Mr. Trump and two for Mr. Nada. And let's put aside Mr. Nada for a minute, because if necessary, his trial could be split off from Trump's and done some other time. But You gotta, I think, ask yourself, can a judge essentially say, you have to just get more attorneys, Mr. Trump? In a normal case, I'd say, no, a judge, you know, you can't sort of make a defendant incur the expense of additional attorneys just so that they can get through the discovery to go to trial faster. But it's interesting when you're talking about somebody like Mr. Trump, who is spending lavish amounts of money on many, many other things and certainly has the capacity to hire additional attorneys, assuming any are willing to work. For him. And a case like this is going to require it. So it's interesting to me because talking about the volume of discovery and the inability to get through it sort of raises this question of have you adequately staffed yourself up to defend yourself? And what amount of pressure is a judge willing to put on a defendant like Mr. Trump to do that? I think a judge has limited
1: yes. discretion on that. But I do think another, a valid counter argument for the government to raise is it's not like this indictment took. Donald Trump by surprise. This search happened in August of last year. So yes, there are specific things that are more recent. But I mean, my God, this isn't like you weren't thinking about your defense. I mean, Donald Trump himself gives a defense du jour. I mean, he's he's (laughs) been thinking about this constantly because he's had to come up with all sorts of cockamamie, another (laughs) term of art, for a defense. More prosecuting Donald Trump. All eyes on Judge Cannon in just a moment.
0: Hey, it's Mel Robbins. Let's cut to the chase. There is a change you want to make right now, but you're waiting to feel motivated. You don't need motivation. You've got me. You can change your life anytime you want. And when you're ready, the Mel Robbins podcast is here to help you with inspiration and simple science-backed tools to help you create a better life. Listen to me and you'll feel motivated, all right. Listen and follow the Mel Robbins podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze,
1: what I'll call the January 6th cases. And we've talked a lot about sort of Jack Smith's case being the sort of broader and, and Georgia being the subset of what could happen with Jack Smith's case. But there've been developments on both fronts in terms of Fannie Willis impaneling a grand jury. Uh, that, to be clear, by the way, was yes. anticipated because of the way in which the Georgia grand jury system works. She had said... I'm anticipating deciding the issue of whether to bring charges this summer. And and her timeframe was very much dictated in terms of the impaneling structure in Georgia of a grand jury. Just to remind people, there had been a special grand jury which heard evidence but did not have the power to indict. It had the power to mm-hmm. recommend. And now there is a grand jury that is being impaneled. They will have the power to indict. So this is in some ways a necessary but not sufficient step, right. obviously, to bring charges. But it is certainly one step closer. But just because you have a grand jury and panel doesn't, of course, mean that the prosecutor is going to recommend charges or that a grand jury will vote them. But if I was a betting person, I would say, yep, yeah, that's the, that is where we're going.
2: Fonnie Willis has been signaling it, right? She said to all the <laughs> yes. judges, you know, during these first two weeks of August, you know, would you maybe not have as many proceedings in the courthouse? And she's been talking about security for the courthouse, et cetera. One of the interesting things I think about this grand jury, the one that will have the power to indict, is will Fonnie Willis and her team put on actual witnesses to testify or will they essentially read the transcripts of the testimony before the special? grand jury because they've already amassed this enormous amount of evidence and it is not atypical just so listeners know sometimes you've been working yep. investing a case in front of one grand jury that grand jury expires you have to start over with the new grand jury and so you don't recall those witnesses and you just read their transcripts it's not the most fun thing exactly, to do, but exactly. It works. yeah it works. And you can actually say to the new
1: grand jurors, if you want to hear from the witnesses themselves and you want to assess their credibility by having them come in, you can request that and that can be done. And sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't, but it it isn't required just because you're calling a new grand jury that you have to recall all of these witnesses. They can hear what's called hearsay evidence to bring that in. So again, we're going to hearing from Fannie Willis, according to her, probably sometime in August, which raises the issue of Jack Smith and his January 6th case. Just to be clear, my view is that he is going to subsume, if he brings a case, the Georgia allegations. My view is like, why would you leave out something that's very strong? And you could end been in a situation where you have federal charges that include some of the Georgia material and state charges that have the Georgia material. Just knowing Jack Smith, I just think he is going to, if at all humanly possible, want to bring his case at or around the same time. And part of that is that I think he's going to want his case to go first. And that's just not because, Mary, you and I, as former federal prosecutors, always want your federal case to go first. But I think here, there's sort of an additional reason. You want the strongest case to go first. It's going to be much worse for Jack if he has to go to trial on a case which, for whatever reason, either is lost or has a hung jury. And so you'd want your federal case, which is strongest, to go first. And obviously, he could bring his case second, in the sense of he could indict it second, and it still could right. go first. But it's just a better look if it's brought earlier than the state case to then say, well, this case was first in time, and so it should go first. And it's not totally clear to me that Fonnie Willis would even object to that. As a way to proceed. One other thing before I turn it back over to you, Mary, is there's been some reporting which has driven me crazy, which is, oh, I think Jack Smith is just writing a report and it's not clear that he's going to even indict. Well, look, I'm tea leaf reading just as much as anyone else, but. That's not (laughs) happening. I mean, as sure as I am sitting here. Yes, he might write a report with respect to certain people that he decides there isn't proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, But that is going to be something he thinks about down the road, not anytime soon. And for those people reading that in the press, that could be right. I strongly disagree.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, this comes back to Our view of one kind of a report is called an indictment. And (laughs) (laughs) yes, you're right. That is the kind of report he's thinking uh, about. That speaking (laughs) indictment that tells the whole story of the conspiracy to overturn the election. Uh, That's a report. That's for sure. It's a grand jury's report. So, yeah, I hate engaging in the speculation, but boy, they have done a ton of work, including putting people in the grand jury. And, you know, from the Mueller investigation, Andrew, that there are a couple of ways you can interview witnesses. You can just have them come in and do an interview that is voluntary, that is not in front of a grand jury, or you can subpoena them and have them testify in front of the grand jury. And And the Mueller investigation included both of those things. And I think the Jack Smith investigation has concluded both of those things. And sometimes they had to use the grand jury because a person would not come in voluntarily, but they went to great efforts to make sure people testified in that grand jury, including going to the chief judge when various witnesses raised issues like executive privilege or attorney-client privilege, et cetera. They went to the chief judge and appealed that. So all indications are is that this is an investigation that is done to bring charges, bring indictments. Now, obviously, you guys in the Mueller investigation also brought charges, certainly nothing against Mr. Trump, for legal reasons, including the opinions of the Department of Justice, that you can't indict a sitting president. But this is different, and it certainly seems to be pointing toward charges. Now, who all will be charged and whether that includes Mr. Trump, that remains to be seen.
1: Perfect segue, because there are two lawyers who are facing disciplinary proceedings, John Eastman and Rudy Giuliani. John Eastman, as people recall, was previously, I'd say, credentialed lawyer and clerked on the Supreme Court. And he had this theory that the vice president of the United States didn't have to count the certified election votes. And Judge Ludig, who, Mary, you have dealt with a lot, um, was counseled to the vice president and just said, Absolutely not. But for legal reasons, for practical reasons, it just didn't make any sense that one person right. could do that.
2: He was also, John Eastman, the architect, really, of the, of the fraudulent elector scheme, the scheme to have the electors yeah. in the swing states go ahead and meet and vote for Trump and send those ballots to, to to former Vice President Pence. And that was his, Right, he was one of the main architects of that.
1: Yeah, and that to me, that was orchestrated by the Trump campaign yes. down. So he's facing disciplinary proceedings. There was a hearing, there were witnesses called about that. That is pending decision. Rudy Giuliani is facing disbarment in not one but two separate bars in DC and in New York. And the DC decision, that is it's we'll call it a preliminary decision, uh, is that they recommend that he disbarred and it's in connection with his conduct in pennsylvania in bringing a fake election claim uh, and uh, makes it absolutely clear according to this opinion that he engaged in misconduct and had no good faith basis for the claim and the relief that was sought one of the things that i thought was really interesting and why this sort of relates to the case is not just because both of these lawyers could themselves face criminal charges for their conduct. Uh, But also on page one of the Giuliani DC preliminary decision, it says that Donald Trump waived the attorney-client privilege with respect to communications with Rudy Giuliani. What is the import of that? It means that for Jack Smith, All bets are off in terms of he doesn't have to go to a judge as he went to Beryl Howell to get a decision about the crime fraud exception so that Jack Smith could hear what happened with Mr. Corcoran and others. And that obviously was very central to some of the key proof in Mm -hmm. the documents case. But with respect to Rudy Giuliani, once you have a waiver, that is the client agreeing this is something that you can now talk about, mm-hmm. it means that the communications are now fair game for whoever wants to ask about it. You can't say I'm waving, but only as to the right. D.C. bar proceeding. But by the way, Jack Smith, you right. can't get yeah. them. So yeah. that's not allowed.
2: Yeah, and I think we're both pretty surprised to see that in that preliminary opinion from the D.C. Bar Council. And that could have impacts ultimately, not just on what Jack Smith is talking to Rudy Giuliani about, but also impacts later in any potential case if if the president is really trying to talk about, I was relying on the advice of counsel and Jack Smith being able to get right in there and talk to counsel about that advice.
1: Exactly. And Rudy has been reported to have said This was a theory in looking for facts to support it. So that's a really bad statement if you are the client saying, I want to rely on the advice of counsel to have your lawyer saying, well, here's a theory. We just don't have any facts to support it. (laughs) That's that's not going to go very well yeah. with the jury. I,
2: I think it also bears mentioning what is the impact of relying on counsel? How does it change if all of you were part of a conspiracy, essentially, to defraud the government? Yeah. And also, how does this impact like proof of your intent? But again, I think if everyone's part of the same conspiracy, that advice of counsel defense gets a lot weaker when there's no objective basis, for example, for saying that there was fraud in the election, significant enough to change the outcome. In other words, you can't manufacture fraud, seek advice from your lawyer and then say, I didn't do anything wrong because my lawyer told me that I could keep saying that there was fraud in the election.
1: So, Mary, that's free legal advice for everybody out there in case you're thinking of doing this. This is what you can't do. Um, So, Mary, we're all going to be on tenterhooks to see the government's filing with respect to the trial date, their response to what happened last night, and then stay tuned with respect to Judge Cannon and what she does there. Big, big decision for her on what she does. Big test in terms of her objectivity. So, this is, I think, the first real time that we will have an opportunity to see how she comports herself and whether she turned over a new leaf in this phase of the investigation. So, can't wait to see that. And also, can't wait to talk to you, Mary, about your take on what happens. So, yep. stay tuned. Till next time. If you've got questions, you can leave us a voicemail at 917 342. Two nine three four. Maybe we'll play it on the pod. Or you can email us at prosecutingtrumpquestions at NBCUNI.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with much more. The senior producer for the show is Alicia Conley. Jessica Schrecker is a segment producer. Our technical director is Bryson Barnes. Bob Mallory is an audio engineer. Jim Maris-Perez is the associate producer... And Rebecca Cutler is the Senior Vice President for Content Strategy at MSNBC. Search for Prosecuting Donald Trump wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series.
0: Hey, it's Mel Robbins.